Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church Podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and His church, grow in faith and understanding of God's Word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Morning. It's good, it's good to be back with everyone. Uh, and um, this Sunday, as you can see, uh, we're going to be doing the Lord's Supper here uh, in just a little bit. Uh, so it is fitting that uh, now in the Life of Jesus uh, sermon series, we're going to actually be uh, discussing, um, we're not discussing, but preaching on uh, the Lord's Supper uh, this Sunday. So last week, uh, Matt uh, preached about Jesus uh, entering into Jerusalem, uh, Palm Sunday, as we would call it. Uh, he talked about the cleansing of the temple a little bit as well. And, and what you have to understand is that, so Passion Week, Holy Week, uh, Jesus comes in on Sunday. He spends Monday and Tuesday uh, back at the temple preaching all day, teaching the people about heaven, about the things to come. And during those two days, uh, he is challenged, uh, confronted, uh, and even harassed by the, the local religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, scribes, Herodians, all the people mentioned in Scripture. And, and they question him a lot um, about his authority, about who he is, about things to try to stump him. And, and obviously, Jesus is able to answer them and even uh, ask them questions, too, that they were unable to answer. And then, uh, drawing closer to where we're going to begin today, uh, one of Jesus's apostles, Judas, uh, he's tempted and he's approached by this group of people and they ask him to turn Jesus over. And what you have to understand about this is that they weren't looking for, you know, kind of some tell, tell us what Jesus is like so we can uh, besmirch his character or something like that. No, Jesus was very popular. Uh, he was in the city with thousands of other pilgrims for the Passover meal. And what they wanted was when Jesus is here in Jerusalem and he's actually alone, let us know so we can come arrest him. And so that's what it means whenever they approached Judas, they gave him money and they asked him to turn over Jesus. He was looking for that particular point, that place where he could do that. So before we get into the text, uh, Luke 22, I just want to pray for us for our time together and as we look forward to the Lord's Supper as well. God, we, we thank you. God, we praise you for the story that we're about to read. We thank you for your spirit. Uh, we thank you that it illuminates scripture and, and lets us know uh, the true meaning of your teachings. God, I, I thank you for the church. I thank you for the group that's assembled here today. Uh, I just pray that our minds, our, our hearts, everything is just fixated on you and that all that we do today is for your glory. And we pray all this in your son's name. So if you'll, uh, if you'll join with me now, Luke 22 is where we're going to start today. Uh, Luke 22, starting in, in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? 
and he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So let's stop there. We're going to continue into the Lord's Supper. But there's some, some things for us here to, to look at and to see uh, in this part of, of the story. So first, the, the Passover meal. What is it? Uh, simply, it was the largest feast that the Jewish people had. And it was to commemorate their leaving Egypt, uh, particularly the end of the Exodus saga, the plagues and all that. It was to commemorate the passing of the angel of the Lord over the houses, the lamb that had to be slain for the household, the blood on the doorpost, the leavened bread. All of it was done in a very ritualistic, very prescribed meal every year annually, and they would go and remember it. They would sacrifice their lambs in the temple and they would do this meal. So it's also to remind us or to tell us as well that Jesus was a Jew. He practiced Judaism. So did his followers as well. And so it says the day had come of, of unleavened bread and the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus tells his disciples to go and prepare the Passover. So in this simple command, he tells them to do a full day's work, something that we don't realize. So he wasn't just telling them, go set the table. He wasn't just say, go set up for a picnic or something like that. He actually had just given Peter and John a full day's work. What, what it really entails that, that we lose a little bit here in the story is they would have had to gotten a lamb, gone and procured one, purchased one. They would have had to gone and stand in line with thousands of other pilgrims at the temple, waited for their lamb to be ceremonially sacrificed, the blood captured in a bowl or a cup, splashed on the altar, the rest of the lamb prepared so that they they could go home and roast the lamb for the meal that night. Secondly, they would have had to gather wine, all the cups that were needed for the meal, bitter herbs, as well as procure unleavened bread. So this was not just a little task of like, hey, make sure the chairs are set up and the tablecloth is out. This is a full day's work for these men. So just keep that in mind. And so they asked him, they said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished, and prepare it there. So Jesus gives them this very specific situation that will occur. And what we don't realize is that this was also a very unique thing that's about to happen. There's a man carrying water. This was something uncommon to the Jewish people. That men didn't carry water. Men didn't go to the well. If you think about any occurrence really in scripture, uh, usually there is a woman at the well, right? And there's a woman at the well that maybe a man encounters, whether it's in the Gospels or the Old Testament. So this was, would have been an uncommon sight in an ancient Jewish uh, tradition. So when he tells them this, it, it reminds us, just like what Matt was saying last week, about Jesus having this foreknowledge Jesus' divinity here on display, and it shows us uh, that he is trustworthy as well. And we're going to get to that. But here, though, these men are given this very specific uh, scenario that's going to play out. And what does the last verse say? Verse 13, they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So here, why did, why did the author include this? What are the readers? What are we supposed to get from it? The, the first thing that you can remember and that you can be assured of is that Jesus is trustworthy. Throughout the whole book of Luke, he gives us these little stories, whether it's to cast your net over the side of the boat in this specific place, whether it's to go and untie the young donkey so I can ride in on it in this specific place, whether it's to go and find a man carrying water. 
Whatever the case may be, in the mundane, Jesus' word is true, and it proves to be true time and time again is what the author wants you to see. So now, in light of that, Jesus can be trusted on the big things too. So he builds in the little mundane to the big things. And, the, and obviously the disciples trust him. They trust him in the little things because they know that he's been time and time again right. And so what do we take away from this? I, I think about, um, I'm, not a, I'm not a hymn guy. I wasn't raised with hymns. But there's a, a particular hymn though that says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take him at his word." just to rest upon his promise and to know thus saith the Lord. So in the little things, you should trust in Jesus. And therefore in the large things, your salvation, how do you reconcile your life back to God? Those things that Jesus taught on in the final couple days in the Passion Week, those are the things that you can definitely rest assured are true and trustworthy. So this section concludes, they're ready to do the Lord's Supper now. And so now if you'll join me back Verse 14, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be and who was going to do this. So here, finally, we get to the Lord's Supper, this huge sacrament, the institution of the Lord's Supper. Going back up, verse 14, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. So a couple things here. One, the hour had came. Uh, one idea uh, uh, layered on this is that this, this meal wouldn't have made sense. Out of place, if he had done this randomly or done it at Passover's previous, it wouldn't have made sense. So the hour had come, God had orchestrated all things to lead them to this moment where he could sit there and have it, have this Passover meal with his disciples. Secondly, and maybe also the practical uh, idea here too, is that it wasn't until sundown that they could partake in this. It wasn't until sundown until the Passover lambs could finally be uh, sacrificed and consumed. And so he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. So just a, a quick historical idea here, he reclined at the table. He wouldn't have just sat down like you or I at a table, he would have been laying on his left side, feeding himself with his right hand, lounging like what we might do in front of, a, in front of the TV or something like that. So, so just have this idea of this room now. They're all actually lying on the floor, this table very shallow, and they're all there together. And he says to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So we'll pause there. There's a lot packed in here. But first off, what does Jesus say? He says, I've really wanted to eat this meal with you. It's the biggest meal of the year, but actually I'm going to abstain. I'm not going to do it. I know I sent you guys out this morning to wait in line to get all this stuff together. And I appreciate that, but I'm actually going to abstain from this meal. And why? 
More importantly, I'm going to abstain from this meal because it hasn't been completed yet in heaven. And once it is, then I can, then I can partake again. And the, you have to imagine there's very ritualistic sayings. There's very ritualistic prayers and openings in this meal. So these men are probably at this point a little bewildered, perplexed. What's this guy talking about? How, what is he doing? This is not how this meal goes. And so now we see very clearly that it's because Jesus is instituting something new. There's something new and different about this meal, and the disciples are not yet picking up on it. And so he continues, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So now he's taken the bread. And remember, this is not just any bread. This isn't just a typical bread. This is unleavened bread, which in remembrance of the Israelites when they were leaving Egypt, they didn't have time to make bread in the full manner that they would have. And they didn't have fancy ovens like us. It took hours and hours to heat the oven up. Think of it like a, like a kiln, like a, like a fire kiln that they would have had to heat it up. And it wasn't this, this automatic process, you know, two hours on 350. Like they, it was just check, check, check. And so they, they didn't have that time during the Exodus. So now they have to continue to eat bread in that likeness every year to remember that. And this bread though, when, it, when we say unleavened, there's something that we, we don't realize here. The Jews took the unleavened part very seriously. And so the week leading up to this Passover meal, they would remove all the leaven out of their homes. And this was a symbol to remove the sin in their life, to get prepared for this feast. So both they were doing it practically and literally, but also in a spiritual sense, they wanted to be cleansed. And so when he says, this is my body, which is given for you, this bread is a symbol of my body. So this unleavened perfect bread is a symbol for my body. And so to understand a little bit of how they viewed it, uh, quickly, we're going to flip to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Uh, Paul writes this to the Corinthian church. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So here, Jesus, the first idea is, is that he pulls out this bread and he said, this is, this is my body. This is a symbol for my body. Perfect. And then what does he do with the bread? He breaks it. And so here, many scholars believe that this would have been the second piece of bread ceremonially that they used at that dinner, the afikoman. And so what it was, was there was a basket with three pieces of unleavened bread. And they would have each of them kind of wrapped in a linen towel or a linen napkin or something like that. And at particular times in the meal, they would take one out. So here, many scholars think that this was the second piece. And what they would do is they would break it and they would give some of it to the people to eat. And the other piece would be wrapped in linen and hidden away. And if there were kids there, they would go and find it and bring it back. And when they brought it back, they would celebrate it. They would celebrate that it had been returned. And so think... These men who understood this meal very ritualistically, very symbolically, Jesus is telling them, this is my perfect body. Whether they understood it or not, we know that scripture later speaks to that. They started to realize what Jesus was saying later on after the crucifixion. But this is my perfect body. It's going to be broken. It's going to be wrapped in linen. And it's going to be taken away. But then it's going to come back. And we're going to celebrate that. 
And, that, and I mean, that's why we're here. That's why we're here today. That's what we're going to remember very soon. So now, after he concludes this part, it says, And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So remember two ideas here. The first, the cup. So they drank these cups to remember the lamb's blood. So remember the disciples had gone. It must have been on their minds that day as well because they would have just very graphically have seen the cup or the bowl that captured the lamb's blood at the sacrifice at the temple where they, where they killed the lamb. It would have been captured by the priest and it would have been splashed onto the altar as substitutionary atonement for the family or the group that that lamb represented. And so here Jesus is saying that it's my blood now in that cup. It's not the lamb that you've been sacrificing for centuries. It's my blood. And further yet, whenever they would remember the lamb's blood, they had four toasts at that dinner. They would toast four times out of four different cups that dinner. And those toasts were to remember what God said to them in the Exodus and what they would remember from Exodus 6. The first toast was, I will bring you out. So at some point in the meal, they would toast and say, I would bring you out. God would bring us out of slavery. I will deliver you. I will redeem you and I will take you to be my people. So these four toasts were done to remember the covenant that God had with the, with the Israelites. But now Jesus is saying the cup is no longer the lamb's blood and the covenant that you're going to remember is no longer for that. The Mosaic covenant, it's for me now because now I will bring you out. I'm going to bring you out of an unholy lifestyle. I'm going to deliver you from sin. I will redeem you. I will make you my people. Whether they understood this or not, what they were toasting, this is what Jesus was trying to teach them. This is what they were trying to say. Days later, weeks later, whenever they realized the resurrection, all these things started to become clear to them. But at that time, Jesus is trying to make this connection as he institutes this new sacrament. And so after they complete this part, the final verses of this, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be and who was going to do this. So here again, yet again, the author wants to show you Jesus's power, his foreknowledge. He has this premonition. He knows that he's being betrayed. It's again, just another sign of who he was, but it also shows us too, if he knew that he was going to be betrayed, he could have left, but he voluntarily chooses to stay. And it, it reminds us from Genesis 50 as well. When Joseph finally confronts his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. It doesn't excuse the sin, but it shows that God repurposes it for his own, for his own glory. And so here we see that God is the same today as he was yesterday and he will be tomorrow. And he continues to work and unfold things in the same way. So as we, as we finish today, as we want to have time to partake in the Lord's Supper, there's a couple things I really want you to, to think through. And I want to encourage you about too, as you get the cup and as you get the bread today, you think about the bread that you hold. You think about the unleavened bread that they would have used in the perfect body of Jesus. You think about how the trauma that he went through, the brokenness that happened to him and how it was wrapped in linen and it was taken away. But then three days later, it came back. You think about the leaven in your life as we prepare our hearts for it as well. You think about what Paul said, 
Even a little bit of sin will corrupt the whole soul of the man. So as, as we think about, as we prepare our hearts for it, what sin is there in our life? What sin is there in your life, in my life, that we desperately need to remove? Completely remove from our life so that way we can be a new lump. And as you take the cup in your hand and as you look down on it, I want you to think about the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ that is filled of those bowls that was splashed on the altar of God. It brings new significance whenever we think about when he says, let this cup pass. He didn't want to do that, but he knew it was necessary. And so when you think about that and then you think about as you toast to Jesus too, as you think about that idea, you toast to him, you think about how Jesus has brought you out of an unholy lifestyle, how Jesus has delivered you from your sin, how Jesus has redeemed you, and now how Jesus calls you his own people, we his church, his own people. And you celebrate that. You celebrate your testimony and what that looks like for each one of us respectively. So I'm going to pray for us as we get our hearts ready, as we, as we get the Lord's Supper ready as well. And, and I just pray that this is a time uh, unifying and that it helps our church just grow in holiness together. God, we, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the richness and the deepness of this sacrament. And God, I thank you for the work that you did. I thank you for every detail that you orchestrated, uh, every fine thing that you did to fulfill every prophecy, even the mundane that we didn't even realize. And God, I just ask that as we enter into this time for the Lord's Supper, I do just pray, God, that we would be uh, just holy, that we would look to you and that all that we do uh, here in the now and as we leave here as well would be for your glory. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.